to another episode of That's What People Do. You are joined by me, Ryan McGowan, and as always, James Kay. How are you today, James? I'm well, thank you, Ryan. It's a Monday. It looks fairly sunny outside, but I haven't gone out yet. Probably freezing. But it's nice to not be working on a Monday. Yeah, yeah. You normally work weekdays. So what's the Yeah, uh, basically, you know when you have holiday that you take over from the following year, my company's like, you can have this holiday that you take over from last year, but you have to use it before the end of March. So I've just been booking random days off just to chill so i think this is my first and i've got some scattered throughout the next few weeks it should be really nice that's fair that's nice i like when a company sort of sees you as being like like holiday pay is one of those where you accrue holiday pay you earn holiday pay in the time that you work there it's usually like for every eight hours you work you earn one hour of holiday yeah. pay is usual in the uk right and you get to a point where you're like listen I've earned quite a lot of holiday pay. And then the company's like, yeah, but if you don't use it in the year, you just lose it. And you're like, right, but I've earned that. That's mine. Mm. That's not yours yeah. anymore. That's mine. Um, <laughs> and we, we have a similar thing with my company where you lose it if you don't use it. And I'm like, well, what you are enticing is but at the end of the year, those that have not earned their, like those that have not taken their holiday pay are then like, I have a lot of holiday and you owe me that. <laughs> and I'm going to take get- it. Do they not like buy them out? Because some companies will just pay it out. I don't believe that's. I don't believe that's the case at my company. Yeah, that's sad. I think I get like twenty-seven days a year, which is quite nice. That is quite good. Or is it twenty-eight? I don't know. It's, it's something reasonable. Um, but my dad's company does something weird. That like, if you don't use it, you can sell it back to the company, and they'll buy it off of you. That's cool. That is cool. Yeah. Um, no, uh, it's, it's funny. Like a, a, a friend of mine at work, who I know listens all the time. So hello, Dane. Um, he uh, he's as as he likes to remind us all has nine days of holiday left to pay uh, left <laughs> owed, owed to him by the uh, I think it's like April when holiday restarts again, isn't it? Yeah, um, yeah. He's owed like nine days, and I keep saying to him like, "Yeah, Dane, you're owed nine days, but you can't take it all at the same time because that just it's not going to happen. You just know that, that that no one's going to approve you to have nine days solid. Like that's not happening." But what happens if like someone wants a two week holiday? Is that just not doable? Well, yeah, I suppose it. I suppose it is. You just have to just get on with it. But you know, I don't know. I suppose I think the difference is, and I said this to him the other day. Um, if you like, if you're legitimately like, oh, I'm going away on holiday, and you're actually going away, I can see where someone like your your line manager might be like, oh, okay, fair enough, it's gonna suck, but we'll get on with it. But if you're just like, I'm just gonna sit at home. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah fair. Like, but then nah. it's ni- nicer to break it up that's what i've done i've just kind of scattered my days around and i'm gonna go see hamilton on one of those days which i'm really excited about no oh, very cool very cool that was fucking expensive i'm sure it was yeah but, but it's getting done well if gina's listening you can ask gina if she knows anything any tips for like what how to watch hamilton other than just sit there i, I can't imagine there's much more to it than just sitting there yeah, maybe she can give you some insights as to be like, right, this is the person you want to look out for. Like, oh, okay, okay. Yeah, but yeah. Considering I used to work at that theatre, and well, I say work, I, I, they offered me a job there, um, and I said yes, signed the contracts, <laughs> and then was like, actually, no. Oh right, I thought you were going to say I worked there. Actually, I never actually worked there. I just applied once. Like that'd be like anything no, that you do. It was just before COVID. They gave me the job, 
And then I was like, sick. I was like, yep, take it, no problem. And then I was looking to like rent a place in London. And this was literally like a few weeks before lockdown. And something in my body was just like, don't do this. This is the worst decision you'll ever make. And I just, I backed out of everything and I just stopped and fucking thank God I did. Otherwise yeah. I would have been trapped in London with no job, rent to pay. So yeah, Damn. follow your gut kids is the message of that story. Well, um, I think it's a very good place to sort of uh, segue on. We were, we were talking about sort of like holiday pays and things that you as a staff member are owed and whatnot. So uh, let's just get straight into uh, today's episode with the phrase sick days. Now, sick days, we are all entitled to them. And whilst in the United States, there is no legal requirement to offer employees sick days, in the UK, we can pretty much take as many sick days as we like. There is no legal limit to how many sick days you can take. Of course, your employer might not take to, uh, might not like you taking so many sick days, but if they're legitimate reasons, there really isn't much that they can do. Something I'm yeah, finding out at work. <laughs> It's usually like the company's discretion, isn't it? In your contract, they'll be like, it's this many sick days you get. But then obviously, if you get signed off by a doctor, then yeah. that's that's completely different. It's if mm-hmm. like, I think, I always think like sick days should be used for like, oh, I've got a cold, I'm not feeling great today. That's what a sick day is. But then you have like sick days where you are fucking having a bad time, like mm. hospitalized, and that shouldn't count. That's interesting. Though. That's an interesting thought. But like, yeah, you can have sick days where you like so-and-so, but like legitimate... I am actually not able to come to work in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, like, I can take a selfie from the fucking paramedics around me. Like, I can't (laughs) do this today. That shouldn't count in my eyes. And if your company does count that, I think that's really scummy. Yeah. Yeah, we're we're going through a bit of a phase where it's like, there's a lot of sickness at my place, and some of it is a bit dubious. Yeah, yeah. But I'm not saying it much more. Anyway. Some of us decide to call in at the first hint of a sniffle, and believe me, I have heard some lame excuses for sickness. But there are some of us that will come to work, eyes puffy, nose streaming, and a temperature so high you could cook an egg on your forehead and claim that they're simply soldiering on. And whilst it sometimes is commendable, they themselves run a risk of infecting other staff members and causing more sickness. Luckily, you don't need to come into work. We in the UK have such a thing called statutory sick pay, which does not cover the whole of your wages for the time that you're off, but it goes some way in helping to look after you when you call in sick and help stop those who are infectious coming into work. But what if you don't know that you're infectious? What if you're not sick at all? Let's meet the subject of our story today, Mary Mallon, aka Typhoid Mary. Now, Mary Mallon was born in County Tyrone in Ireland, which is now Northern Ireland, in 1869. Not much is known about her early life, but we know it wasn't an ideal time to be living in Ireland. The Great Famine had ended 17 years before Mary was born, but its effects continued to be felt. It's estimated that a billion people... uh, Sorry, a billion people, that's a lot. Fucking hell, in Ireland? (laughs) (laughs) Jesus Christ. Like a seventh of the fucking population of the world just died. <laughs> Jesus. I'll start worse than again. plague. <laughs> I'll start again. Just never spoke about Jesus. Okay, yeah. So it's estimated that a million people died, which is still That's a lot of people, from the yeah. effects of the famine. Many of those that survived emigrated to America for a better life. 
Now, what was left was a dwindling population, with many young prospects and professionals lost to the new world. Tickets to America were so cheap that young men were buying them in their droves, which led to an increase of women not able to find a husband. Which saying that aloud in 2023 sounds absurd. Be like, oh, there's so many women just can't get a man. But in the you late... Need to get me over there. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> but in the late 1800s, it meant that your family had to support you. And when you're living in a post-famine world where everyone is poor and food is still hard to come by, it's a strain. Now, the result was many young women also emigrated to the Americas in search of the American dream. And Mary Mm. was one of them. By 1884, aged either 14 or 15, Mary boarded a ship to New York. I'll be honest, um, I do envy this era of movement. Like, while yes, it's easier to get about these days with planes and trains and automobiles, blah, blah, blah. There's so much bureaucracy and red tape involved. Yeah, I'm sure you've done like the same as me, where you have a minor inconvenience in your life and you're like, fuck this, I'm emigrating, I'm moving to a different country. And you really research it. And then like the more you research it, the more you realise how much of a fucking ball ache it is. And like your anger sort of dwindles and you're like, it's fine, I'll stay here. Like Australia for us is quite easy until we're like 35 like australia we can do fairly straightforward because of the working holiday visa america i looked into and i'm like i don't even know where to begin oh yeah 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 i i I love the idea of just being able to board a ship with a one-way ticket and just pitch up in a new world like my my, yeah how cool my uh grandparents love to tell this story my granddad literally had a one-way ticket for a ship to australia before he met my nan and it was only when he met my nan did he end up staying here but like yeah that could have like imagine being like 20 something and you just think do you know what i'm just gonna go to australia and you buy a ticket yeah. and it, it's, it's just as easy as turning up like yeah. that's can't oh, do that man. anymore yeah you can't do that and it's like how much you money do you make or all sorts yeah, yeah. i mean it, it's so annoying don't get me wrong i understand that although it was so much easier to just go to a different country you had no support right so if you went there and Mm. you had like a dollar in your pocket that's all you had so when you got to like australia or you got to new york you don't have a home to live in you don't have any food in your belly you don't have a job so you kind of got to find this all out within the first 24 hours or you're just going to be sleeping on the streets for a while so i understand like it wasn't easy in that sense but if you could make it work like, damn, that would be cool. Like, I'd love to be able to but just... I also think, like, because the country was so new, it's like there were an abundance of jobs. You could just turn up one day on, like, a work site and be like, you got any work? They're like, yeah, fine. Oh, yeah. And then suddenly, yeah, on the top of scaffolding. I mean, yeah, I'd love to be able to, like, on my next paycheck, which is in... Well, it's tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> at the time of recording. <laughs> I'd love to, on my next paycheck tomorrow, get my money in my bank and then just hand my notice in at work go this is my immediate notice and then just buy a plane ticket fly to australia and with the rest of that money like just put myself up in like an airbnb for a few weeks and just go find a job i'd love to be able to do that and like not have anyone be like oh you need to be able to earn a certain amount of money you need to have a certain amount in your savings you're like no listen bro if i can just find a job and earn it and just pay a tax out of it why not just keep me here to be fair, Australia, you could genuinely do that. The working holiday visa they have with us, like it's very, and they're getting rid of farm work as well, which is kind of exciting. Are they really? Oh, yeah. It's like you don't have to do farm work. You have to work to get the extra year. You have to work anywhere, but it doesn't have to be farm. So you can just work in an office. That's cool. That's cool. Which I think most people do anyway to survive. So yeah, exactly. Um, I'm about to turn thirty though, so do I have to do it before then? 
No, 35, I think. Yes. Right. Jenna doesn't know yeah. this, but we're going to Australia. <laughs> <laughs> I, I genuinely looked into it, I think, in like 2018 when I was just at a bit of a loose end. And then I didn't, and now I'm still fucking here for some reason. But mm. it's very it's very doable. Canada is fairly accessible as well. Yeah. yeah. We, America is a nightmare. America apparently is quite tough. Although we know someone that has been to America, but he studied there for a while in LA, wasn't it? Yeah, I'd love to, like the wages in America are really good, and like I think the houses are cool because everyone's got a big plot of land. But there's also a lot of drawbacks. Mm. Yeah, uh, which is what we're going to be talking about today, really, sort of medical yeah. shit, health, healthcare, <laughs> medical. Uh, now, Mary <laughs> initially initially lived with an aunt and an uncle whilst taking jobs as a maid, but in time, it was noted that she was a rather good cook and would be hired by several families over the next few years. Now, in 1900, she was working in an area of New York, and just two weeks in, people were contracting typhoid fever, which is a bit is not ideal. Um, now, in 1901, and this is going to be a little bit of a listy thing here going on. In 1901, she moved to Manhattan to take up a job there as a cook. It did not take long for members of the family that she was working for to develop fevers and diarrhea, with one cleaner dying. Um, Mary then soon left and entered the employment of another family, a wealthy lawyer. She would leave after seven or eight family members fell ill with typhoid. In 1904, she was employed by the Gilsey family and within a week, the laundry worker was infected with typhoid and four other servants too. Mary soon left and the laundry worker who contracted the disease was blamed by an investigator as the cause of the outbreak since uh, they were the first to fall ill. That was about as much proof as they had, though. They were like, you got ill first. It's basically whoever smelt it dealt it. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, her next family also had a staff member fall to the illness and taken to hospital. It was a remote area and was the first case that they had seen in a long time, which is a bit coincidental. Mm. Now, by 1906, Mary is working for another wealthy lawyer family. They took her out to an area called Oyster Bay on Long Island. It's a place that one might holiday for the summer in the late, sort of, uh, in the latter 1800s. Now, in the first two weeks of her being there with them, six of the 11 family members there came down with typhoid fever. Now, typhoid was not a rare disease by any stretch of the imagination, but at Oyster Bay, it was particularly uncommon. Now, the owner of the home Mary was working for... um, uh, the owner of the home that Mary was working in, sorry, was so terrified that he would not be able to rent out the home in future if word got out that the home was a lair for typhoid. Um, he was so scared of that that he spent a lot of money investigating the surrounding area, having the cesspool, the toilet facilities, the underground water supply, any pipes, all of that shit tested for typhoid. That's how scared he was. He was like, this is so uncommon here. If everyone knows that my house is a typhoid place, no one's going to rent it again for the summer. I'm starting to see a little bit of a pattern here, though, aren't we? Mm, yes. And did she? Did she? Did she not clock? She was like, "This keeps happening to me. This is so weird." Well, we'll get onto that. So they all came back negative. So what they're saying is, whatever's infecting the family, um, whatever was infecting the family, staying there, it, it certainly wasn't the home. So he was like, "Phew, right. thank fuck for that. It's not my place, right?" Now Mary soon left that place, and by the end of 1906, was with another family, and again people fell ill rather quickly. Now, two household servants were hospitalised, but unfortunately the daughter of the family who contracted the disease, she died. 
So that's yeah. the first, I think, death that we have. Now, that's seven families that she has worked for in as many years. And at some yeah. point, she must have thought to herself, damn, I have the worst luck. Everywhere I go, <laughs> I seem to be walking into the beginning of a typhoid outbreak. But luckily, I managed to get out quick enough as it starts. I might. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, I might cure. get it myself. Like, <laughs> she's definitely thinking it's so that. so weird. Yeah. So what is typhoid exactly? Well, to put it simply, it's a bacterial infection that can race through the body, affecting many organs, causing symptoms such as fever, headaches, general aches and pains, fatigue, a cough and constipation. And now as the infection gets worse, uh, you can develop nausea, diarrhea and rashes. And if left untreated, it can kill you. How annoying would that be, though? Because at the beginning, it can cause constipation and all of a sudden you get diarrhea. Like, that is not fun. Yeah. Especially after having constipation when everything is sort of, like, built up. Oh, God. I can just imagine that morning. You're like, I've got to go. <laughs> You're like, I've got to it's go. It's like a fucking bomb going off. <laughs> like, oh, constipation. I was about to ask you would you rather have diarrhea or constipation, but that's a really weird. That's a con- that's low. For, even for us, that's a, that's low. It is, it is. I think I know my answer, though. <laughs> See, I'd rather have diarrhea. I would, too. Just get it out. Yep. Because it it's going to come out one way or another, so there's no point in leaving it to chill. Uh-huh. Now, it is common among areas with poor sanitation and hygiene, which is why it was such a surprise to the people living in Oyster Bay. And uh, it is an... Oyster Bay is an affluent area, right? So you really didn't see these types of diseases coming around. Most places are fairly clean. They're quite rich. They look after themselves in that sense, right? But what is of interest to our story is how typhoid is spread. Now, it is most commonly spread through your pee or poo. But we tend Hmm. not to go near that so much in the day-to-day life. So how does it spread? Well, the answer, very simply is poor hygiene in particular Mm. a certain cook potentially not washing their hands properly when preparing food it's not looking good for mary is it no someone didn't count happy birthday sing happy birthday to themselves or count to 20 seconds when washing that was the weirdest part of covid wasn't it they had to teach the adult population how to wash their hands who the fuck wasn't doing that in the first place (laughs) do you remember this was a long it's just like when i was at like maybe nine or ten there was an advert i think it might have been by carex the hand soap company and Mm -hmm. they're like are you a washer or a walker do you remember that? Who the fuck's a walker? There was a whole campaign being like, are you a washer or a walker? And it's like, oh, yeah. Man. And then when I was at school, everyone was asking. They were like, oh, are you a washer or a walker? And everyone's like, I'm a washer. <laughs> but like, when you're like eight, you're like, no. <laughs> like, you just wash your fucking hands. It, it takes too much. It takes longer than two seconds, but it's really, it's, it's quick. Mm. Even if you just run it under a hot tap, it's better than nothing. Oh, yeah, for sure. Now... <laughs> Now, if we cast our minds back just a couple of paragraphs, I mentioned how the homeowner hired an investigator to find out what caused the typhoid outbreak. Now, Mm -hmm. that man was rather ironically called George Soper. That is quite funny. It is, isn't it? Uh, A New York City Department of Health sanitary engineer. Now, having looked at the water supply and surrounding area, he concluded that the water itself was not the cause of the outbreak. He did have a theory that it had come through the fresh seafood being served there, but quickly discovered that not everyone who came down sick had eaten the seafood. 
The only thing that he found they all had in common was that they had eaten. And since they didn't cook their own meals, it had to be whoever was preparing the food. Now, his sights... I think that's such... Go on. Sorry, that's such a weird statement. Hmm, all of these people have one thing in common. They've consumed food. <laughs> so, as opposed to what? Starving? Yeah. yeah. It doesn't make any fucking sense. Yeah, it seems to be the only thing that he was like, oh, listen, that's the, that's the only thing that you've all done together is just eaten. Like, you've all got around the table and eaten together. That's the only thing that you've all yeah. done that is the same. Everything else is hmm, different. All of these people are breathing. It must be in the air. <laughs> yeah. Now... All Soper had to go on was a name and a description of her, right? So the problem he had was that he could not pin Mary down. It seemed that Mary moved on really quick. As we said, like every time someone starts getting sick, she's like, oh, fucking hell, it's typhoid here. I've got to leave. Um, and it's like she was looking for another job. And because she's like just doing housework stuff and she doesn't really have an address she's got no like yeah. home that you can call to and figure out where she lives so like i say all he really has is just the name that she went by when she took the job and what she looks like that's kind of it now yeah luckily it really wouldn't take too long to pin her down in her last job that i mentioned in 1906 soper caught wind of a typhoid outbreak real quick and managed to find Mary before she left. So he's like, any t- he's basically got the like, ear to the ground. Any typhoid outbreak, he's like, I'm going. Um, now, he found her in the kitchens preparing food for the family she was working for. He confronted her and told her that she was the reason behind the outbreaks, and he needed samples from her. Now, these samples aren't like your typical blood tests, right? The way that you sample for this typhoid outbreak, which is what he was trying to get at, he needs samples of Mary's pee and poo for testing. Now, Lovely. it's not something easily asked for by a complete stranger. Just turning up and being like, hi, you don't know me, but can I have a sample of your piss and poo? <laughs> and you're like, uh, no, that shit's what you go only fans for. No, you're not having it. <laughs> but <laughs> Soper claims that he was very diplomatic about it when he was asking her that, like, you know, he was really, really nice. He explained who he was. I'm going to call bullshit on this account since he claims as well when he confronted Mary she chased him out of the house wielding a carving fork. <laughs> so I can't imagine he was that polite about the whole thing. No, I mean I imagine she was a bit disgruntled by uh, as you say a random man asking for her shit. Yeah, one, telling you that you are the cause for mass disease going around and two, I need a collection yeah. of your piss and shit. <laughs> yeah. It's not It's not really a good icebreaker, is it's it? It's not. So, Soper compiled a comprehensive history of Mary's job history in an attempt to track the outbreaks and was shocked to find that out of the eight families she'd worked for, seven of those had come down with typhoid. Now, the strange thing was, Mary herself was the pinnacle of health. She'd never had any health issues. She'd never herself had typhoid. So, how could she be the problem? This was what Mary was constantly arguing over. She claimed she'd even seen a doctor early on when she began as a cook and uh, when the outbreak started kicking off and she's like, this is quite, you know, common. I hope I don't get typhoid. So she went out, found a doctor, had herself tested and they said that she was negative for ever having had typhoid. She doesn't have it. Therefore, she took that and believed that she could not be the person spreading the disease. She does not have it. Leave me the fuck alone, please. I mean, to be fair to her, it's a, it's a 
a good conclusion to come to. Yeah, I'd be the similar. I'd be like, well, listen, I've I've had it tested and I don't have it, so ugh. yeah. Now, what she wasn't to know, and what Soper had surmised, was that he had come across one of the first ever documented cases of an asymptomatic carrier. Now, oh. an asymptomatic carrier is someone who can be infected with a disease, yet not show any symptoms at all. It doesn't affect them, but they can be highly infectious and pass it on. And it appeared that Mary Mallon was an asymptomatic carrier of Salmonella typhi, the bacteria that causes typhoid. And it's why, when Mary got herself tested, that it came back as being negative. She didn't actually have the disease, but she was a carrier. But she has no fucking idea. Mm. So naturally, when someone comes up to you saying, you are the reason for a particular outbreak, but you're not ill yourself, you're gonna question it. Yeah. Now, Soper tried again, but Mary was still not interested in giving up samples for testing. So he did the only thing he did, the only thing he could, sorry, he spoke to his boss at the New York Department of Health and Sanitary and reported her. She was told that she needed to be taken away for quarantine for public safety. And you can imagine, she did not take it well, and she wasn't going to go quietly. It took five police officers and one extra person to sit on her just to restrain Mary and get her into <laughs> an ambulance. She put up that much of a fight. To be fair, if I know northern irish people like i do especially like matriarchs they are they're feisty mm. yeah 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 yeah. i i think that's like I, it must have been horrible for her but i can imagine that was quite a sight for every other new yorker just sort of standing around being like well something's going on here yeah and she's just destroying five police officers. yeah literally and they're like Cut, i need another hand and someone just has to sit <laughs> on her and they're like i don't know what i'm doing She's literally like fucking, you know, like a, a rodeo, just to go, oh my God. <laughs> um, Mary was taken to a hospital where, against her will, she had samples taken from her. For four days, she was strapped to a hospital bed and was constantly monitored. She couldn't even go to the toilet herself. Every time she needed to go to the loo, it was collected and tested. And it is an interesting moral question that maybe we could discuss real quickly. Mary was unwilling to give over samples for testing. She has a right to deny their requests, but does the authorities have more of a right in taking it by force, considering the real risks that she is posing to public health? Well, this is a this is a big topic even nowadays, isn't it? Do the governments and things have sort of medical clearance to, to do what they want with us, i.e. vaccines and lockdowns and all sorts? Um Oh, that's a that's a really difficult one because obviously you don't want to give too much power to the government and to health officials. Otherwise, then you just run the risk of people becoming a bit corrupt with it. But also, you do want to stop outbreaks. Um, yeah, I think I'm torn. I'm, I'm torn. I do think because because we've been through it fairly recently with COVID. You weren't forced to get a vaccine, but you were highly recommended to do so by the government. They highly recommended you yeah. go get one because it will be better for everyone if you do. But they weren't forcing us to have one. No. That is a fascinating question. I suppose back in them times as well, things were a bit more sort of, you can kind of get away with a bit more. Mm. So I, I guess it, in terms of the early 1900s, sure. Um, it's just like back in when, like the fucking 1500s and, the, and what have you, and the 1000s with the plague. Uh, 
people were just fucking locked in rooms. Like, you're either going to die in there or you're going to get better. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't know whether... I don't know. I think I think you could maybe put up a good enough argument to be like, listen, for public health, we are going to be detaining you. And I think you could probably find some loophole to keep them there. But I don't know whether that's the right way of going about it. Listen, we'll find out more about her case as we go, and then we can ask the question again what we think. But um, yeah, maybe don't strap her to a bed. Maybe give no. her a nice room. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like things like that. She's strapped to the bed. She has no autonomy at the moment. Anytime she has a piss or a shit, they're collecting it. Like there's no like, like they have that in um police stations, don't they? When they need stool samples, they have like special toilets. Just put that in a room. Yeah, yeah. Now their tests concluded that Mary was indeed an asymptomatic carrier for typhoid, and that it was likely her gallbladder that was the centre for the bacteria that she was spreading. Having concluded this, they sentenced Mary to quarantine on North Brother Island, an island an island in New York's East River between the Bronx and Rikers Island. Now, it was a specialist place reserved for treating people with particularly infectious diseases. Mary would be forcibly kept on the island for almost three years, providing three stool samples a week for testing. Now, whilst it's a sound idea, quarantine a person who is responsible for spreading disease, um, there were many in the medical community that thought the quarantine a bit too dramatic. See, they understood that there was a cause... Um, that although Mary was a cause of many typhoid outbreaks, they believed that with some education on germs and hygiene, Mary could be integrated back into society. Like, uh, surely if she just, yeah, started practicing basic hygiene, she would be okay. Yeah, they, they pretty much sort of said, yeah, if, if we could teach her some real basic cleanliness shit, if she wants to be a cook, like, then, yeah, she should be fine. There's no reason. And also... If I was her, I'd take issue. You said it was a sort of an island for infectious diseases. I'm assuming there are other infectious diseases on this island. Yeah. I would take massive issue with that. I'm like, you're point now putting me at risk of other shit that I'm probably not immune to. Mm. Mm. Now, um, we mentioned earlier Mary's sort of uh, incarceration when she has five police officers and an extra person sat on her. Mary actually suffered from a nervous breakdown after that arrest. Uh, and it would have been quite a moment to be pinned down by several police officers and put in the back of an ambulance and she tried to sue them for it fairly unsuccessfully um she was offered the chance to have her gallbladder removed which in theory would cure her and allow her to leave the island but she refused the only reason being that Mm. it was a dangerous procedure at the time and she didn't want to risk uh her dying when she herself didn't actually believe that she was a carrier. Although they've told her now and they've done several tests on her, they're like, she's like, I'm, I'm not a carrier. They keep telling me I am, but I'm definitely not. This is where I'm sort of like, I did, I sort of, my sympathy wanes a little bit for her because I can get that like when Sopa comes up to her initially and says, look, you're the reason for it. I want stool samples. And she's like, right, fuck off. One, I've been to a doctor. Two, he's told me I don't have it. Three, you can go get one. Um, yeah. She's now literally on an island specifically made for this shit and they're telling you you are. At that point, I'd be like, oh, okay, fair enough. I don't understand yeah, this. She, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it should be evident that she is. But I think, obviously, if someone nowadays was like, we're going to remove your gallbladder and it's a proper healthcare professional, you're like, okay, fine. It's pretty standard yeah. procedure. Yeah. But, but back then, I, I would share her concern. Yeah, exactly. So uh, gallbladder surgery was fairly um, uh, dangerous at the time. Although, you know, if you could get it done, you can get it done, great. But a lot of people, it wasn't a very good uh, surgery. And also a very unnecessary one. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's not... 
Not yeah. needed. Now, during her near three-year stint on the island, Soper met with Mary. He had written an article on her condition, which received a lot of media attention. She was given the nickname Typhoid Mary. And she was so upset by this. She was afraid that she would never work again. Nobody would want to hire the woman known as Typhoid Mary. More to the point, she was just offended by the name in particular. She wrote um, to her lawyer about a another doctor who uh, dealt with the island stuff, saying, um, quote, I wonder how the said Dr. William H. Park would like to be insulted and put in the journal and call him or his wife Typhoid William Park. Um, this guy, like I say, he's a, he's a laboratory director at the New York City Board of Health and is like a big part of her being there. A lot of stuff he has to sign off and say, no, keep her there. Mm-hmm. So she obviously knew about the guy and she was so upset that, like, you know, they're calling her Typhoid Mary. And she's like, that's such a slander on me. I'm not defined by this thing and no one's ever going to hire me again. No, uh, yeah, I, I, I do hear that. It's kind of a shit nickname, isn't it? Yeah, it's not ideal, which is... It's kind of like if you, if you if you like had the shits one time and I started calling you Diarrhea Ryan for like the rest of your life, that would just... <laughs> it wouldn't be nice. I think it's got to be Diarrhean, isn't it? Diarrhea, okay, that has more of a ring to it. <laughs> I'm never going to tell you if I get ill. <laughs> um... But it's why I've not I've I've only ever called her Typhoid Mary in the context of her needing to be called that. Her name is Mary. Yeah. Her name's Mary Mallon. That's who she is. Like Yeah. You know, like the only thing I can kind of liken it to now is like um HIV AIDS used to be almost like a death sentence. Now it's you can you can manage that with with um certain tablets and medication, right? But you're not defined by the fact that you have that. You know, Mary no. Mary in this instance can absolutely live with her asymptomatic condition. She can live with this and be fairly normal mm-hmm. and yes she maybe mm-hmm. runs a slight increased risk of infecting people but with the right knowledge I think she can get on in life and it's the same thing with yeah. you know people nowadays with you know HIV AIDS and it's like you can have a normal life with this thing um and like you know if you was to tell anyone you're not going to go around and be like, oh, look, it's HIV Dave. You know what I mean? It's not fair. <laughs> it wouldn't be fair. Yeah. Now, sounds like something like a bunch of lads at the pub oh, will do yeah. one of their mates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, Soper told her that he intended to write a book about her and intended to give her part of the royalties made. But having not warmed to him since their first meeting when she chased him out with a fork, she locked herself away in the bathroom until he left. Now Mary was looking yeah. to um, Mary was looking at an indefinite stay on the island. Uh, that was until 1910. So at this point, at no, at, she's literally like no one's told her she will leave the island. She's just there. She's not been given a leave date or anything. Mm, that's her life as far as she's yeah. aware. So you know you can imagine why you'd be pissed. Now, like I say, that was until 1910 when the New York State Commissioner for Health, Eugene Porter, decided that disease carriers did not need to live in quarantine so long as they had sufficient knowledge about their condition and how to live with it. Mary was made to promise that she wouldn't ever take on a job as a cook, and in her personal life, she would be more hygienic, she'd wash her hands before preparing food. And she's like, oh, cross my heart, hope to die, all that kind of shit. <laughs> Upon yeah. release, though, eh, she did something very different. <laughs> now, Mary did take up a job as a laundry lady, steering clear of cooking, but 
Being a laundry lady did not pay near as much as what she was used to. She would bring home around $20 a month as a laundry lady, but as a cook, she could bring home about $50 a month. Plus, she had no permanent home and was always on the verge of poverty, so she needed a job that not only paid more, but gave her a roof over her head whilst doing it. So, Mm -hmm. Mary went back to cooking in the homes against the terms that freed her. She started going by different names, such as Breshoff and Brown, and this isn't ideal. She has been told that she poses a risk to people's health and should not be cooking, but you could at least say that she has been taught about some basic hygiene and that in some way that would limit the risk. But no, it seems that Mary is a bit of a dutty gal. She virtually never washed her hands, which to... For fuck's sakes, Mary. To be fair, wasn't uncommon at the time, right? Not everyone's aware of hygiene at the time and they're a bit dirty. But surely if you've spent years locked on an island and they're like, right, we're going to let you go on the premise that you wash your hands, you would then wash your fucking hands. Yeah, yeah. This is, again, this is sort of where my sympathy wanes. What an idiot. Yeah. Inevitably people began to get sick with typhoid wherever she went. Soper was back on the case, but she now knew that he would be on to her, so made sure to never use her real name and kept moving to new jobs. In 1915, Mary was working as a cook for a hospital for women. Right, Mary, come on now. There, 25 people went down with typhoid, two of which died. It's getting to the point now where I was rooting for her and now she's sort of bordering on serial killer because she's doing it with the knowledge that she's doing it. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes, thank you. Now, when a doctor at the hospital asked Soper to come by and investigate, he very quickly discovered that Mary is back at it again in the kitchen. So she tried to run away, but once, um, but was once again apprehended by police and placed in quarantine on North Brother Island, back in her home from home. This time, however, she would not get the chance to leave. Mary... And this is the point that you just validly brought up. Mary knowingly took jobs as a cook, risking the health and lives of others. Because of this, the authorities didn't trust her and believed that she would never be released uh, from the island. Now, we don't know too much about her second stint on North Brother Island, but we do know that she was there for so long they gave her a one-story cottage to live in. She was even given a job on the island. Mary was a laboratory technician washing bottles, writing records of experiments and preparing glasses for pathologists. And over time, her short temper seemed to have softened and she became content living on the island. They even began trusting her enough to visit the mainland for days out. But Mary's home was the island. In fact, Mary would spend the next 23 years there. Well... Um, it's at this point, like I was saying, my sympathy was beginning to wane, and then you were like, you were hot on my next paragraph of no, I felt for her, but now she's doing shit deliberately, and that's where I'm at. Where I'm like, you know that you're a risk to other people. You've been told the ways that you need to behave so that you can reduce that risk, and you've actively gone out and done the fucking opposite because you don't care for it. It's so simple as well. It was so. It wasn't like you have to do something really strenuous that really hampers your day to day. It was don't be a cook, wash your hands. Yeah, that's it. That's it. I do. I do that now for free. 
<laughs> Don't be a cook. <laughs> yeah, and, and I'll wash my hands. It's Mary, but at least like she was content towards the end, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Now, in 1932, she was discovered in her bedroom on the floor, paralysed. She'd suffered a stroke. She was confined to the hospital on the island, but never fully recovered. On November the 11th, 1938, Mary Mallon would die of pneumonia, aged 69, still on the island. Now, there is a rumour that after her death, an autopsy was carried out, which found a live typhoid bacterium in her gallbladder, thus proving that she had the op- thus proving that if she had the operation, uh, she would have been cured. However, Sopa, who, as we know, is no real friend of Mary's, refuted this claim uh in fact many believe that this big fucking revelation in the autopsy um is just an attempt to try and justify their forced quarantine of mary they're like oh look look, in her gallbladder there's typhoid we were right to keep her on the island if she'd only had the uh uh, operation like we'd offered she could have left but she didn't want it but remember her whole thing was like one i don't know if this would work and two um you don't even know if I have it in the gallbladder. You're just making it up. You're just assuming. You've 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 made you've made like a a a theory. You've but you've based a theory that I have typhoid in my gallbladder, so you want to remove it. What I'm saying is, one, you don't actually know that because you've not tested enough, and two, it could kill me. I mean, yeah, I do understand her concerns, but I don't know enough about typhoid to dispute the claims. Maybe that is where it kind of chills. I don't know. Yeah. Nah. Same. Um. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I just like that Soper at the end was like, nah, it's bullshit, mate. And like, he has no reason to sort of, they didn't get on, they didn't like each other. So, yeah, I like that. Now, right or wrong, weird story. I know. Right or wrong, quarantining Mary was a win for the medical community. She was the first documented case of an asymptomatic carrier of a disease. And in studying her, they managed to identify at least three other symptomatic people and learn from it overall it's estimated that mary infected between 51 to 122 people with typhoid and a confirmed three deaths although unconfirmed puts the deaths at around 50 Mm. so how much can we blame mary mallon for the deaths of those people she refused to believe that she was a carrier for disease even when she was told however Having been told by medical professionals, she never even tried to follow their advice with hygiene. So, how much can we actually blame her? And I will put that out to the floor. At at, at the start, like obviously it's weird that Typhoid's following her around, but she, I guess, has... I mean, she must have been suspicious, but also she could have genuinely thought it was coincidence of, oh, this is, this is kind of mad, there must be a fucking epidemic going on. Hmm. But then once you're told and you're kept on the fucking island for years and you're let go under the premise of wash your hands, don't be a cook, and then you continue with your behaviour, that is when it then, like, the duty of care falls on you and you become the problem. Yeah, I agree. So I, I, I think at the start it was just ignorance and, like, not knowing, fine. But then afterwards it was it was, it was was wrong of her. Hmm. No, I, I, I agree. I very much agree with where you've gone with that. Um. So that's the story of Typhoid Mary, or Mary Mallon, as as her real name. A fascinating story, uh, nonetheless. Um, But to bring it to today's world that we live in right now, as I mentioned in the intro, um, 
there are those people that when they're sick they take their sick days no matter how yep. s- no matter how like minimal it is like oh i've got a bit of a runny nose i think i'm coming down with a cold i'm just going to take time off but then you've got those yeah. people that are like oh I'm, I'm really really fucking sick and they still come into work are they on the same level do you think in that not a severe no yeah, yeah they but, are you know they run the risk of infecting other people at work yeah i completely agree sick days are for everyone else as much as they are for you like especially if you work in hospitality or something like that if you work with food i know it's hard because sometimes if you work in hospitality your manager is a massive dickhead and you will like face severe consequences and potentially lose your job if you don't come in and that is wrong and that is a problem with the system completely but i think if you're if you're working with food and in close proximity with the people and you you have something that is contagious you then have a duty of care to not come in because then you might infect someone and they might live with someone they care for mm. and that could be the end of them. Yeah. So it, it is difficult. I, I was thinking this the other day that like, I'm quite, I used to be very liberal with my sick days. I used to just fucking take them whenever I wanted. Like some days I'd just wake up and like, I can't be arsed today and just have a sick day. And that that's wrong. Like, I, I slap myself for that. But ever since working from home, like I I'd can, I like if I am feeling ill, I'll still work. Because I'm, all I'm doing is sitting at my desk in my house. I'm not infecting everyone. I'm not a burden. I can care for myself. Mm. This is why I think working from home is also a fucking big plus and they shouldn't be forcing people back into offices. Yeah, um, yeah or making them work in an office when they don't need to. <laughs> yeah, God, let's not get started on that again. <laughs> we had a, we um, had a pre-recorded <laughs> chats and I had a big moan. <laughs> yeah. He did. No, I I hear you. Like um, working from home, I think is easier. Like obviously for yourself with your job, it's a lot of you know sat at a computer doing a lot of research, a lot of writing. And I I imagine, although you can be really poorly, um, I suppose if you are still able to do that, then you know I can imagine you could soldier on. In, in fact, I took my first sick day in this job last Friday. No, not Friday. Just gone the Friday before. And it's because, heartbreakingly, I found out that for some reason, over the last few weeks, I've developed like a severe intolerance to dairy, and have I'm really? I'm fucking devastated. Like wow. if I have if I have milk or like the other day, like I'm not gonna lie, I went overboard the other day. I was like, I'm really gonna test this. I'm gonna ha- I'm gonna go to Pizza Hut. I'm gonna order the cheese triangles, cheesy garlic bread. I had a massive margarita pizza, just like so much cheese. And like that evening, I was like, "This is okay. This is fine." The next day, fucking hell, I was unwell, like really, oh, really bad. But yeah, you, I, do, I, you do enjoy your cheese, don't you? I love cheese. It kept happening though. I kept having cereal in the morning, and then for like a few hours afterwards, I was like, "Why am I feeling so bad? Like I feel awful." I went to the doctors. I had blood tests. I was like, "There's something wrong with me," and it turns out it's dairy, and it's just—it's not something I've had all my life. It's just developed, and like that's something I'm going through right now, and it's a—it's a problem. That's interesting and also very devastating. Considering like I used to be fucking vegan and then I was like, I love dairy too much. I can't do this anymore. So then I came back and now it's God's way of punishing me. Yeah. (laughs) But I'm I'm still I'm still going to have it. Like I'm still going to eat dairy every now and then when I've got nothing to do the next day. But yeah, I'm I'm sure we all know. I'm sure we all know someone like this. But when I was at university, there was a girl who's severely intolerant to dairy, and she would just be like, "It's Saturday tomorrow. I'm just gonna go get a milkshake tonight." Yeah, <laughs> and then fuck just it. like enjoy it. <clears throat> if you've got nothing to do, why not? But yeah, yeah. <clears throat> oh god, fuck my throat. But yeah, it's really sad. So yeah, that's my health update. I'm actually really upset about it. So now I'm gonna have to buy lacto-free milk and all sorts, which is more expensive for smaller cartons. Yeah, 
Yeah, it is. That's sad. That's sad. I feel for But you. I remember I was in London once. Sorry, I'm going off on a fucking rant about this now. And I went to this really nice Italian restaurant and I had burrata. Are you familiar with burrata? Yeah, yep. just lovely fucking bald cheese, really creamy over some nice bread with tomatoes and olive oil. Oh, so good. And like, I finished the meal and like, I had my main course. It was fine. Great. I had an Aperol spritz, which tastes like shit. I don't understand the hype over it. And then uh. I, we were walking around Canary Wharf and I was like, God, I feel rough. Like, And for like three hours, I was desperate to be sick and I couldn't put my finger on it. And I, I blamed the Aperol spritz. I was like, that tasted so bad. That made me sick. Looking back... It was the fucking burrata, and I think that was the start of it, because that is so much fucking dairy in, like, one mm. place. But yeah, as you can mm. tell, I'm really upset about it, so... um. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, um, it is interesting. Like, um, I, before I became a manager, um, I, I never really used to take sick days much. I, I actually was looking at my sort of employment history the other day, which I probably shouldn't have been doing, but I've taken <laughs> six, six uh, sick days in, like, two years, right? Nice. Um, dream employee yeah uh, so but but like I, I was one of those where I'm like oh, if it's a cold I don't care I'll just come into work it's not going to stop me yeah, working yeah, yeah. and I was very much someone that like I would only ever call in sick if one I actually can't sort of get out of bed kind of thing I really feel sick or like a lot of the time if I've been sick or I've got you know if it coming out the other end yeah. I'll call in at that point but this, this is also due to care to other people if you're having liquids vacated your body you shouldn't be around people yeah exactly um but now as a manager like being able to take a sick day is like non-existent you yeah. just can't like because if you if you don't come in there's no one to run the day and you think wow okay cool just like, I that's, hope I that's don't get really Ill. shit yeah yeah that, that's a that's a see that's a problem with sort of working i i always feel like the older generations frown upon sick days they're sort of like you work till you die you do it quietly and get on with it whereas our generation is a bit more if you're if you're ill you're ill no worries no bother come back when you're feeling better well then then you've got for our generation and the generations after us mental health days which don't technically yeah. count as sick days but they do at an employer yeah your employer will count them as sick days and if you have too many of those they'll be like uh you're having too many sick days off and you're like i'm stressed as fuck <laughs> i remember the place where we met the way we used to work i won't name and shame people but the way they handle mental illness is fucking awful like yeah. i was going through some stuff like i was not having a good time like i was imminent about to quit and like I took a day off because like I just wasn't great in my mind. And then the next day I got in, and then the fucking main boss, like you you know who I'm on about, fucking slaphead, he like mm. marched me into this fucking office, sat me down, and started grilling me about it. And he was like, "We need to do this because it's mental health." I was like, "You want to do this?" So like, if I end up fucking topping myself, you you have it on record that you're not to blame. Mm. Like I, it made me feel so much worse, and it was, again was another reason why I quit and there were so many people there like oh i'm a mental health first aider what do you do what the fuck do you do if i tell you i'm not having a good time you just sit me in the office and get me a drink of water yes <laughs> yeah like you, you're I, not doing I anything that. i remember that and I, I um the uh specific uh mental health first aider i remember telling me once about a particular staff member who had quite a few panic attacks but over the most simplest of things, which are still valid reasons, but still yeah. like for 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 like a neurotypical person who maybe doesn't have, you know, um, mental health issues, to be like, oh my god, why well, they just keep having fucking panic attacks? And I'm like, 
Yeah, but they're legit reasons, right? So we can't that say is them. that. Where we used to work as well, like it was loud, it was busy, it was constant. Like you can become very overstimulated very quickly if you're not like on it. So it's a mm. completely valid reason. Yeah, that place was a fucking shambles. <laughs> Thing is, everyone really knows bad. where it was. If you've listened to us for long enough, long enough, uh, you've definitely had us mention it before. Everyone knows where we worked, but um, yeah. yeah. But then I worked for the same company at another location, and they were much better because it was a smaller team. Everyone got on like everyone was really calm, like really lovely. But that, that, is, that, I, that place was I, awful. I do think that's a fair point to say. Like you know, and I know we've gone off on a massive tangent here, everyone, like ten minutes or so. But um, when it comes to mental health, and maybe one day we can do an episode where we can really get in deep with this sort of conversation. Um, but like my immediate boss is really good for like mental health shit if I'm feeling down or anything like that like I can always tell her and she's always really good at like helping me out sorting me out if I need time off or anything like that she's she's genuinely quite good at that but the company as a whole not very good yeah you know I mean um and, they need and training I, yeah I was on a course fairly recently and it was like you know how, how do we do and I was like not great not great yeah. if I'm honest <laughs> yeah but then like the place where I worked under the same company, I'm going to name them because they were great, Warwick Castle, like really good. Like I never took sick days because I felt safe there, like mental health sick days anyway. Like, I felt good. Like my mental health was absolutely great. But then at the other place, I took more because of the way they reacted to it. Because mm. if you start persecuting someone for having poor mental health, their mental health is only going to decline. That's a fair point. Yeah, that they need to fucking sort themselves out. Like, it's, I imagine it's still a shit show. Possibly, yeah. Never know. Right, I think it's about time we wrapped up. Yeah, before I fucking slander some more people and get sued. Yes, very litigious, this company. Um, now, James, you know what subject you want to do? Yeah, I, I know I know exactly who I'm doing it on next, and I, I just need to write it. I could do it this afternoon, to be fair. I need to go to Lidl, and that's my day, so I could do it this afternoon. Um, oh, mate, Lidl's bakery. Answer- Oh, sorry. Uh, it's, it's, sorry. It's, um, so Lidl like have like weeks where they'll do like different countries. Like it'll be Spain week, fucking uh, French week, Italian week. Really good. And this week it's German week, so I kind of want to go and see what they've got. Very good. Very but, yeah. Good. Um, but yeah, next is it? I've completely forgot his name. Is it Bert Troutman? I think it's Bert Troutman. Um, basically, I've always wanted to do an episode on football. When Ryan and I pitched this podcast to each other, sat in Weatherspoons, I don't know why, but I kept hammering home the point that I really wanted to do someone who like football. But then it yeah, quickly dawned yeah. on me that not everyone gives a shit about football as much as I do. So I kind mm. of put it off until I could find someone actually worth doing. And this guy is worth doing. His life is crazy. So, mm. so it's not just about football. Football is kind of like part of it, but it's just his life in general. Mad. It involves Nazis, obviously. So oh, yeah, man, can't do a James we'll episode look to that. saying the word Nazi. <laughs> no, we almost got there this episode. It's sort of like 1938, like oh, oh, no, not quite. <laughs> yeah. All right, everyone. So we'll look forward to that one uh, coming soon. Um, thank you very much for listening. Make sure if you do enjoy uh, the pod, you uh, support us. You can do so uh, via donations on our coffee page. Um, if you'd like to support us with wearing our merch, you can do so on the merch store. There are links to that on our link tree. Um, and yeah, I think that's about it. Make sure you rate and review us. Reviews are always really handy as well. Um, also, mm. yeah, I think we were 57 in the UK for documentary podcasts. We actually went up. Considering we release less frequently than we used to is is kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, so we're proper Thanks stoked. Thanks for listening. Yeah, we're so stoked that you, know, you guys are 
reviewing and listening to us because it shows it helps and, and the higher we can get up on those documentary podcast charts uh the more people can join us and join our little community and listen to us more so yeah yeah um yeah thank you very much for listening everyone and we'll see you on the next one goodbye